find the book of Judges. Uh, just wanted to bring something relevant, not only for the graduates today, but for all of us, really. And, you know, we can learn things in life from positive role models. And we'll talk about it a little bit today. But we should be able to learn lessons today by negative things also. What not to do. Now, I can tell you a whole list of things of what not to do. Because I've done them and they didn't work. It's just like, well, I think it was, wasn't it Edison? That they said, uh, invented a hundred things. And somebody asked him, said, don't you feel like a failure? You've invented a hundred things that didn't work? He said, no, I just feel like I know of a hundred things that don't work. So, uh, you know, we can learn from negative things, but we're going to look at this morning at someone that, um, I guess, as we studied back in Sunday school. I didn't go to church when I was young. I was only saved when I was 18, but praise God, I am. But I didn't get a chance to go through the Sunday schools, but I know a big theme and topic back then was Samson. Remember that? This means yes, this is no, okay? This is yes. So remember Samson. We have a a, maybe a mental picture of how big and strong and buff he was. Now, I know most of you ladies are not saying anything, but you know what you have in your mind for what Samson looked like. He was just this big, brawny guy that just kind of ruled his way around. What I want to tell you, there's one thing about Samson, and we're going to find out this morning, that I believe, and I'm going to kind of impose this on us this morning, but I think we can learn something from Samson, Samson's life. The first thing I think we can learn is how to reach our potential, not by doing what Samson did. Because I think we all want to reach our potential, and a lot of us give up. before. Let me ask you this. You don't have to raise your hand. How many thinks they have reached their potential? Now let me take you back a little bit. To these little preschoolers and kindergartners and middle schoolers and high schoolers and college graduates, do you remember back at that age, at that time, what you wanted to be? What you thought you could do? How you thought you could change the world? And you saw the potential in your life. Most of us did. Have you give up on it yet? I hope not. I hope today we can be revitalized, I guess, in Hey, I've not reached my potential yet, but there's still time. As long as there's breath in me, there is time for me to reach my potential. And it's not real complicated. So we're going to read this morning. I'm going to, if you turn to Judges chapter 13, I'll give you just a second. Because we're going to jump around a little bit, those that are trying to keep up with me. If not, just jump down to scriptures with me. And we're going to do a little bit of reading time this morning. And I uh, hope you follow along. Um, you may remember some of the story of Samson. We're going to hit some high spots, and then we're going to move on from there. Judges chapter 13 and verse 1, it says, Again, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. A recurring theme. You know, we're, sometimes I heard someone just saying, being critical, very critical of the Israelites for their, man, they've done evil in the sight of the Lord. What if your story was written? What if every day a commentary was made on that day of your life or that section, that time in your life? How would it read? But theirs did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. Now, there was a certain man, certain man 
from Zorah of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Indeed now you are barren and have not borne no children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Now therefore please be careful not to drink wine or similar drink, not to eat anything unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come upon his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. So the woman came and told her husband, saying, A man of God came to me, and his countenance was like that, like the countenance of the angel of God. Very awesome. But I did not ask him where he was from, and he did not tell me his name. And he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. Now drink no wine or similar drink, nor eat anything unclean, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to this day uh, of his death. I'm going to stop right here just a second. You know what just speaks out to me in there? Go back and read Genesis. You know, she revealed exactly what the angel of God had revealed to her. Go back with Adam and Eve in the story. That's not what they did. They did just the opposite. Or they gave an interpretation that was not following God's word, and that's how they got in the mess they were in. But anyway, that's just a side note. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, Oh my Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent come to us again and teach us what we shall do for the child who will be born. And God listened to the voice of Manoah, and the angel of God came to the woman again as she was sitting in the field, but Manoah, her husband, was not with her. Then the woman ran in haste and told her husband and said to him, Look, the man who came to me the other day has just now appeared to me. So Manoah rose and followed his wife. When he came to the man, he said to him, Are you the man who spoke to this woman? And he said, Well, I am. Manoah said, now, let your words come to pass. What will be the boy's rule of life? What will be his work? So the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. She may not eat anything that comes from the vine, nor may she drink wine or similar drink, nor eat anything unclean. All that I have commanded her, let her so observe. Okay, let's flip over if we can to, uh, let's see, uh, chapter 13. Let's look at uh, verse 24. So the woman bore a son and called his name Samson, and the child grew, and the Lord blessed him, and the Spirit of the Lord began to move upon him as Manah Dan between Zorah and Eshtel. Now let's flip over to chapter 16, and as Paul Harvey said, kind of read a little bit of the end of the story. Chapter 16, verse 16. And it reads, And it came to pass, when she pestered him, that's a good understanding of the word, daily with her words and pressed him, so that his soul was vexed to death, that he told, I'm going to add Delilah in there, so you'll know who we're talking about, all, has, all his heart, and said to her, No razor shall ever come upon my head. For I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. The 
If I am shaven, then my strength shall leave me, and I shall become weak and be like other men. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up once more, for he has told me all his heart. So the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands. Then she lulled him to sleep on her knees and called for a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him, and the strength left him. And she said, The Philistines are upon us, Samson. So he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out like before at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Then, the, you know, marked under that, he didn't even realize that he had crossed the line. You know, he's getting so close to the line so many times and playing around with what God, you know, it's like us playing around with our Christianity. He had come so close to the line, he didn't even realize God had departed from him. But then it got his attention. Then the Philistines took him and put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza. And they bound him with bronze fetters, and he became a grinder in the prison. However, the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaven, and now the lords of the Philistines gathered together to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to rejoice. And they said, Our God has delivered uh, our hand, Samson, into our hand, Samson, our enemy. When the people saw him, they praised their God. For they said, Our God has delivered into our hands our enemy, the destroyer of our land, and the one who multiplied our dead. So it happened when when their hearts were merry, that they said, call him to Samson, that he may perform for us. So they called him for Samson from the prison, and he performed for them. They stationed him between the two pillars. Then Samson said to the lad who held him by the hand, let me fill the pillars for which support the temple so that I can lean on them. Now the temple was full of many women. All the lords of the Philistines were there, about 3,000 men and women on the roof watching while Samson performed. Then Samson called to the Lord saying, O Lord God, remember me, I pray. Strengthen me, I pray, just this once, O God, that I may with one blow take vengeance on the Philistines for my two eyes. Samson took hold of the two middle pillars which supported the temple and he braced himself against them one on his right and one on his left. Then Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed with all his might. And the temple fell unto the lords and all the people who were in it. So the dead that he killed at his death were more than he had killed in his life. Let's pray if we can this morning. Father God, once again we come humbly before your throne of grace. Whether we're here in this place or watching online, wherever we might be, Lord, I pray that we open up our hearts that the Word of God might pierce through this morning, that it might change us before we leave this place. We may have come in just, hey, we're just coming to church. What happens, happens. We may have just come this day to see who was here. We may have just come this day to see the graduates. We may have just come this day out of habit. But Lord, help us to right now open our hearts that your word, not my voice, not my words, 
but your spirit might speak to all of us and convince us of the truths that you present to us today, that we may leave more aware of where we stand between us and you. I pray, oh God, when we leave this place, folks either leave mad because they were offended by God's word or they leave glad that they were in the house of the Lord. But Lord, I pray they leave looking toward you in one way or another. We ask this in Christ's precious name. Amen. I was looking back this week at, um, I love sports. I uh, used to like to play them. I got to the point where playing them was not an option. You know what I'm talking about. And so I got to where I enjoyed watching, listening, learning. And, you know, you always kind of see these kids going around. And I've had the opportunity, many of you, see these kids and you see so much potential. I was sitting there a while ago just watching the kids as they got up with their big smile and just see the potential. They believe what they were saying. They were excited that they were moving on to another stage in their life. Sometimes we look at that potential right on up the grades and right on up into the ages. And I just happened to see something this week that said, it kind of gave me a mindset to this. The top 20 athletes who moved up basically but were failures. Now, I don't like to use the word failure, but that's what they said. It was basically they were saying these athletes, for whatever reason, did not reach their full potential. What everybody anticipated they would do. And I'm not saying it's always their fault. I don't know if you've ever seen the story about Eric Elliott. Eric Elliott was a great basketball player, had great potential. They said he probably was one of the best at seeing the whole court when he came up. He was just a great point guard for his team growing up. Then all of a sudden in high school, he was carrying out his deal, and, and he was doing it, and I mean, he was really showing out. And then all of a sudden, he dropped to the floor, and that was it. He was carried out. They thought, maybe he's got a concussion or something, but long story short, they took him to the hospital, and he had a huge tumor on the base of his skull, the base of his spinal cord, rather. Now, he had all grades of potential. They were already looking beyond college to pro for him. People were looking at him. He was just in high school. They said, uh, he may never walk again. He probably won't be able to see correctly again. He'll never play basketball again. But you know how it is. He was a child of God. He gave it over to God. Now, did he get frustrated? Absolutely. But he said, God, my God can do all things if he chooses for me to be this, then guess what? That's what I'll be. But I want to reach my full potential. And guess what? Long story short again, he not only finished high school, he played college basketball. And God has used him tremendously. So sometimes we think that we can't reach our full potential. And it's our fault. Not necessarily. But I would say this. Sometimes, probably most of the time, we don't reach our full potential because we're just gliding through life. We're doing things like Samson did. Man, this bigger-than-life guy, from the beginning of his adulthood, I wrote this week, someone said he traded pleasure, I mean, excuse me, power for pleasure, a lifetime of significance for a moment of satisfaction, and he traded Jehovah God 
for a Jezebel. He could have been a giant for God, but he chose another way. He chose a life of compromise. He chose a life of inconsistency. That's the life he chose. We choose our life. Now, we, we've heard this. I'm, getting, I'm going to tell you something you've heard a thousand times. Life is not what happens to you in life. Because I want to tell you, stuff happens in life. And just when you least expect it. And honestly, most of it you don't want. But it's not about what happens in life. You can't allow your Christianity to be affected. And it affects all of us. But you've got to fight against it for the happenings in your life. Those happenings are going to keep doing that. Here's what it comes down to. It's how we react to the things that happen in our lives. Man, if I could learn that lesson. You have a hard time with that lesson too? It's not the happenings. It's how I react to the happenings. And he just totally ignored the happenings in his life, the things that were going on in his life. He didn't see all the things that he needed to reach his potential. I mean, he'd been set aside since the very beginning as a Nazarite. Now, you saw the things. He was not to drink strong drink, cut his hair, or be around dead things. So what's that got to do with, his, with, with him and set aside for God? Those were outward things that God said. And guess what? God said, here, these are the things. I said, okay. Whatever you choose, God. And that's what he chose. The Nazarite simply means one set aside. That's what it means. Sounds like a Christian, doesn't it? Did you know we've been set apart? Understand this. You are not your own. If you've prayed to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior and you gave your life to him and expected salvation, guess what? You are not your own. You are bought with a price. He owns you. That's hard for us to understand. But I tell you what, they said back in the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s even, people understand what GI means, really? Government issued, you're owned. Did you know that anybody in the military here, you were owned. They told you when to get up, how to get up, where to go, what to do. You were told that. And, you know, that's what God is. He tells us when to get up, what to do, how to go about our lives. And Samson was a Nazarite, set apart. There were some visual things there. But, but he was set apart. But if he would have just looked at his potential, if he had just acknowledged that God had called him, you know, God's called you. Here's something I always tell young people, mainly because I need to be reminded of it. God has a plan for your life. Now, I know much of God's plan for our lives is found here in the Word of God, but God has a plan for your life. And it doesn't stop when you get to college. And it doesn't start when you get out of college. He has a plan for your life today. Right now. I know some of you don't believe that. But he still has a plan. I don't care how old you are. God still has a plan for your life. He had a special plan for Samson. All he's asked us to do is fulfill the plan that I have for your life. And guess what? There's no greater feeling place to be than in the center of God's will. Not on the edge, but in the center of God's will. Samson couldn't find that. Now, for the next hour and a half, I want to give you how. See, I got some reaction. Finally. No, just the next few minutes. Let me see here. 
I used to could tell time. I can't see it anymore. But anyway, I'm going to give you a couple of things because I want us to take all these home tonight, uh, today. How we can reach our potential. That's simple enough, isn't it? Jace, how we can reach our potential. Jace teaches so many different things and skimboarding and surfing and all this. He's out there telling these kids, here's how you can reach your potential. Here's, here's what you've got to do. Some will be better than others, but guess what? God has just said, do what I call you to do. Don't worry about what everybody else can do. I may have called you a different way to a different thing to how your potential is or what your potential is. And just soak that up. So let me give you these. One is live your life for God. Simple. It's going to be simple this morning. Live your life for God. Put him in charge. How do I know what God wants me to do? How do I know what God's will is for my life? Well, that's a whole message series. But here's the basis of what God wants for your life. I mean, yes, so well, I don't know it all. I don't understand it all. Well, find John. They said, hey, somebody said John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but would have everlasting life. Man, that's the gospel in a nutshell. That's simple. You know, that's what we're supposed to be conveying to everybody. It tells us in Scripture in Matthew chapter 28, I believe it is, 18, 19, 20, that we're supposed to go and carry that message. Well, when you're going to carry that message, there's other things you're going to be learning as you go along. That's how we live our lives. Live our life for God. God had given instructions that Samson was to live his life for God. He'd give him basics. He'd give him something, a structure to his life. We all need structure. It tells us in the New Testament that the Old Testament was a, Greek folks don't get me here, a pedagogos. That meant a teacher that walks along beside, basically. Said the Old Testament to me is the pictures of what the New Testament is for us. We can learn from these pictures. We can learn from Samson. He said, Samson, I'm going to give you a visual. And it'll be a constant daily reminder of our relationship, of our vow. You made your vow to me, and guess what? I'm going to consider that vow that you've made to me that you were serious. So in that vow, I want you to leave dead things alone. In that vow, I want you to leave strong drink alone. In that vow, I want you to let your hair grow out. I don't say that in, to youth groups anymore. Remember, they missed that in the 70s, right? They'd have loved that scripture there. I'm just a Nazarite. But guess what? He said, there's the visuals. Every time you feel those locks, you'll know. Every time you see something that is passed from this world, you'll know. Every time you see strong drink and maybe even being tempted to, you'll know you made a vow to me. You will remember that and to live your life for me. It's like the old saying, tying a string around your finger so you won't forget. We forget why we tied the string around our finger. We made a similar vow to God. I hope most of you did. I, in fact, I'm just going to say I'm hoping all of you did, and if you didn't, before we leave this place in the next few minutes, that you have, that you know where you're going to spend eternity, that you know that you're going to graduate from this world 
to a world which Jesus has paved the way and God has set aside for all eternity for all that have accepted his son as Lord and Savior. Here Samson is called to live his life. He made that vow and God expected him to fulfill it. Secondly, listen to godly instruction. Simple. Just listen. Listen, listen, listen. I'm not saying hear. Now, well, yeah, I know we hear when we're told something. Husbands, Father's Day is coming up in a couple of weeks. We might be kids. We're going to get started today getting right with God. How many times have we listened to our wives? How many times have we heard them? Is there a difference? Man, you're but I know you know what I'm talking about. There's a difference between hearing and listening. Yes, he heard all the things that his mom and his dad had taught him. We believe they had a desire to teach him. All that around, maybe the Danites, maybe they were not the best example because they were doing the exact same things. But he failed to listen to godly instruction. If God said it, that's not a question mark. That's a period. And we're to listen to God's word. And if he says do something, then guess what? It's not open for discussion. It's not open for contemplation. If God said do it, then guess what we ought to do? Do it. Is it that simple or that complicated or what? I said when I came to faith in Christ, I did not know the gospel. I did not know John 3, 16. But I said I knew something was going on within my soul and that pastor said he had an answer. And so I went forward that night to get that answer and I have said this often. If he had told me, climb up on the church, run around the steeple 10 times and jump off and you'll be saved, guess what I'd have done? If God said it, that's what I'm going to do. I know that seems silly, but it's, it, it's silly enough that God said do things and we fail to do them. And I know it's not easy. Even Paul himself said the things I don't want to do, that's the things I do. And the things I shouldn't be doing, seems like the very things I do. But at least you're battling it and you'll know if God walks off from you or better yet, if you've walked off from God. Something else besides live. And listen, we could learn. Learn from godly examples. We look at his mom and dad. We look at their example. Everything we can determine from this scripture, and we didn't, we, it doesn't say anything that his mom and dad were perfect. It doesn't. Brother Gary and I were talking about a while ago about parenting. You figure out how to do, how to do it kind of, when all your kids are grown and gone. Man, it's, it's, as you're raising your children, they hand you a child to take home and go, like, what do I do with this? We don't say that, but a lot of ways we do. We act confident, and guess what? That's what we do. We just get around and act like we know what we're doing. But it's complicated. This mom and dad, though, what we can see here is they didn't rely on the Danites. Remember the Danites, if you go back and study them, 
The Danites had compromised on the promised land. The Danites were living somewhere that they shouldn't have been living. And here's the reason. Because they compromised and said, we don't want to fight them. Fighting's bad. Fighting's wrong. Even though God said, take that land and we're carrying out his judgment. And they whined and whined and finally went over and said, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll just pass on. Can we go to the north? And so that's the reason they were living where they were at. They had compromised. They had failed to carry out. And guess what? You compromise on God, it will be a thorn in your flesh the rest of your life. Don't compromise. It doesn't. Hey, there's some things that we compromise on, but God's word is not one of them. If he's given us directive, uh, he's given us examples, guess what? It's encouraging. It's encouraging to have godly examples. I look around. Here's another thing with that, though. Guess what? Your godly examples are not perfect either. Paul gave that. He said, basically, he had said, you know, I'm not perfect, but you follow me as I follow Christ. Basically, if I stop following Christ and hit a dirt road somewhere, you keep on following Christ. But it is so wonderful when we can have godly examples that help us, that guide us, that give us instruction that we can seek to follow them. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. But we do the best we can with the Spirit of God that lives within us and His guiding Word. So well, how can you stand up and preach the Word of God? I've been asked this many times in, in, over the years. And I want to tell you, as a young pastor, it scared the daylights out of me. How do you stand up and preach that truth when you can't be basically perfect? I want to let you know I'm not Neither is my pastor or your pastor or that pastor. He's not. But truth is truth, folks. Did you hear me? Truth is truth. I don't care who brings across the word of God. His truth is still truth. I said this and it offended a few folks years ago. I said, I don't care. One of the most despicable, this is before Saddam Hussein, and everybody used Adolf Hitler as the example I don't care if Adolf Hitler presented the word of God. Guess what? Truth would still be truth. But it's great to have godly examples. These young folks need that. I need that. I've looked up to older people all my life. I learned from them so much when I was young my wife will tell you, I'd just rather sit with the adults when I was little than play with the kids because I like to hear their teaching. Now, it was not always perfect, and it might not have always been right, but Dr. R.G. Lee out of Memphis, Tennessee said, Well, son, even a hog can chew grass and spit out the cuckleburrs. So are you smarter than a hog or not? You smarter than a cow or not? If they can do that... But you can take that teaching. You can learn from that person. I can look out and, well, I used to say I could look out and see some of you. But I can't see as far as I used to. But I know some people right now that was unassuming, that was sweet, kind. You hardly ever heard anything out of them. She taught me so, so much. Miss Kristen, I keep saying Kristen White because I've known her since she was born. 
Kristen Hill now. It's her grandmother. What a sweet, sweet lady. I had the opportunity to pastor her for years, and I learned so much from her and the way she carried out things. She told me this, and I'll never forget it. I went to see her one day, and she was by herself. That was before Ann had moved back in, her daughter. And she was by herself, and her husband passed away. I said, uh, don't you just get lonely here? She said, well, I'm not alone. And she was serious. You know, sometimes we say that. But she was serious. She said, I'm not alone. Now, okay, I've looked around. I don't see anybody else. I know your kids come in, your grandkids come in to see you and all that. She said, Wayne, once I came to faith in Christ, he told me I would never be alone again. And guess what? She not only said that, but she believed it. Here's another one. She lived it. I learned from that. We have so much wealth of information. I tell young people all the time, I've probably said it from this pulpit, the greatest thing that you have going for you is these people that have already lived where you're living. It might, here's a good one. It might have changed from a dirt road to a four lane road and the scenery might be different, but it's still traveling on. They've been there. Listen to them. And the other side of that is live and learn from those godly examples. We have a responsibility to do that. Here's another thing that Samson, if he had just done, I think would have made the world a difference. And I'll close. Lines must be drawn. You hear me? Lines must be drawn. Now, what do you mean by that? Here, let's add something on to that. Lines must be drawn to stay. Lines must be How many lines have you drawn in your life? Said, I will not cross this line. God draw the line. Here's what we live in today. We live in a dry race society. You know what I'm talking about? You see these dry race boards? Now, see, when I grew up, it was chalkboards. How many members chalkboards? Ah, uh, we got the chalkboards. How many had to dust the racers for doing something wrong? Okay. But we live different today. Now, yes, we could erase it, but we live in a dry erase society. It looks like the real thing. We write on there with, with a, a marker, and it looks real, but it can be easily wiped off anytime we want to change our mind. Guess what? God said, I'm going to put it on there with permanent marker. I've drawn the lines in permanent marker. Have you ever tried to get permanent marker off a dry erase board? I still have some. Ain't come at all. But that's what God intended, to draw lines in our lives to stay. I will not forsake him. I will share the gospel. I will love on others. I will care for others. I will be obedient to his word. I will pray. I will read his word. I will find myself fellowshipping with other believers on a regular basis. I will. And those are lines. My wife and I talk about so often, and she did growing up as a PK. You know, we got up on Sunday mornings, and I know we can have this debate till Jesus comes. Go to church, not go to church, visiting in a home, watching on TV. Oh, I'm not, that's not my point. But 
when she grew up and when I came to faith in Christ, it was two different things. But here's what I did. I draw that line. When the Bible said, not forsake the fellowshipping of yourselves together as the manner of some is, we see that, you know what that means simply in the Greek? Go to church. That doesn't mean we've got to be inside this building. I'm not getting into all that discussion this morning. But it means if you've got a group that you're like-minded folks and you want to join or you need to join together with them, you need to do that. And it's not necessarily for you. Now, I get blessed when I come. But if you read the rest of the scripture, is you're coming not specifically for you, but for all the others. They're setting the example for others. I didn't say I have to go to church. I need to go to church. And I'll copy Miss Darlene Kevin's daughter when she told me when she was little. Grace, about to have her second child. It's hard to get that in my head, too. She said, told her uncle, she said, we don't have to go to church at my church. We get to. What a privilege. Draw those lines in your life. I'm not going to tell you where to draw them. You find from God's word and draw those lines. Don't do like Samson did. His parents did all they could to give him an example, put him in the right, uh, you know, in the right places. And here he is playing with God's word. He made a game out of lying to Delilah. I know we thought we were going to hear about Samson and Delilah this morning. Not necessarily. We'll hear a little bit about it. But he just toyed with what God had given him in his power. And then when he allowed his hair to be cut, it didn't have anything to do with his hair. Listen, if we as men relied on our strength from our hair, a lot of us would be in a mess. It's not about the length of your hair. It's not. But when he let that last thing go, God said, okay, that's enough. Enough is enough. How do you know when enough is enough when God's looking at you and said, you know, Wayne, enough is enough. Now, I want to tell you something. That doesn't mean I can lose my salvation. I can't lose what I didn't do. All I do is accept what Jesus had already done. But I want to tell you one of two things. I believe, my personal opinion, okay? I believe you will live the rest of your days a miserable life until you do turn back to God or God say enough is enough and I'm going to take you out. How do you know when God says enough is enough? Folks, we hadn't reached our potential. You still have breath. You still have life. You still have that godly example. Say, so listen, I have blown. How many years? Sweet old man, years ago, I was at the Bailey Smith Evangelism Conference. This, this little man, I think, I can't remember, and I don't want to tell you wrong, he was probably close to 70 years old. And he was going to pick up all the speakers, and he was running here to there. He was being the gopher. He was being the chauffeur. He was doing everything. And finally somebody said, I can't remember his name. I just was standing there. And he said, Mr. So-and-so, you've got to take it easy. I mean, you, we can get somebody else. You don't need to be running all over everywhere trying to do everything. He said, I'm not doing it for them. He said, I've wasted a good part of my life not doing what God had called me to do. And I don't know how many years I got left. And it's kind of like the old saying, but I'm going to work till Jesus comes. How many of you feel like that? I'd rather burn out than rust out. 
we still have potential, folks. I can see it. I can see it. God sees it in you. I don't care what your age is. Live out your potential and don't get caught up in the things that Samson did. All the play pretties of life. All the dangling, sparkly lures of life. You know what that is? It has a hook in it somewhere. You fishermen know what I'm talking about? That's what we're doing. We're dangling the sparklies out there and trying to make it dance around. But to what the fish don't know is there's a beautiful big size hook waiting to get them. Now, occasionally, they'll get off. But the most time, they're hooked for life. What about you this morning? Before we leave this place this morning, I got about a third of the message out this morning. How many is, for lack of a better understanding, is compromising their belief this morning? Saw a story on the news actually this morning. A young man, I think he was from Iowa. You may have seen the same thing I did. I think he was from Iowa. He was about to graduate high school. He made these, this crazy saying that I'm sure none of us would, you know, we would probably say, but he had this saying. He said, my understanding is that boys and boys, boys are boys and girls are girls and there is no in between. It's a simple scientific statement. You agree? I mean, most of us learned that in biology. It's pretty, pretty simple. Guess what? They wouldn't let him walk the stage to receive his diploma. But guess what? He could have said, I'm sorry, and they'd have let him walk. He stood to his guns. Listen, he was just, and from what I saw him this morning, he was not, didn't seem to be, let me say that, an argumentative person like me. <laughs> he was quiet. He just said, but that's what I believe. Boys are boys and girls are girls. I said, well, you can't graduate here. And it affected the community in such a way because one of his, uh, I guess, biggest opponents was an art teacher at that school, and her husband is the chief of police. So that was one thing. They said, well, I'll still get my diploma, but I can't walk across stage for saying, making those remarks, nothing else. He went fill out his final paperwork, he got a job. He was going to be fighting forest fires, something he wanted to do. He'd been wanting to do it. He went to fill out, he'd been hired, he went to fill out the final papers, and the guy, when he came in, said, your offer's been rescinded. He just shared what he believed. He was not willing to compromise. I pray today that nowhere along the way that this young man will compromise. How about us? I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes this morning. We're not just going to prolong the service. But I want you to respond. I'm not, we're not going to take much time. We're not going to sing 15 verses. Because I believe if God's moving on your heart this morning, when we stand to our feet in just a moment, you'll stand up and you'll move. So well, I don't know what to go or where to go. Well, listen, you come down front and we'll help you. If you think enough or know enough, do you want to come to the altar and offer to God and say, God, I want to reach my potential? 
That's my goal. I want to reach my potential, God, and I've not reached it yet. Folks, I can pray that prayer. I do not think I have reached my potential. I think I still have a lot to teach, a lot to share, a lot to do, and a lot of growing to do. How about you this morning? As our heads bowed and our eyes closed, as we stand to our feet this morning, head bowed, eyes closed, if God said move, you move. They're going to begin singing behind me here this morning, and I pray that the Word of God will lower the barriers on your heart, and God's Word, His Spirit, will pierce through, and you'll move. I hope you leave one way or the other today. I hope you leave just so frustrated and aggravated that you didn't make a move this morning, or you leave saying, I'm right where God wants me to be. And I'm looking forward to the potential. And I'm excited about living for the future. Stand to our feet. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Stand to your feet. Move if God said move. Stand to your feet. Heads bowed and eyes closed. We need to focus on ourselves this morning. Not looking around and seeing what other people are doing. Let them do that. You do what God has told you to do. These altars are open, folks. It's not old-fashioned or old-timey. Man, it's a great place to come before God. But I understand if you need to make your pulpit, I mean, your pew, your altar this morning, then do that. But don't leave if God is speaking. Don't leave.